Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He is good for sure. We love our God and uh, he loves us. And so uh, let's pause together now for just a moment of prayer. Let's welcome him into our hearts and into our homes today. Uh, let's welcome him into our service. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. We praise you. We give you all glory. We thank you this day, Lord, that you are our healer, our provider, and our giver. And I pray for each person out there tuning in with our service today online, every member of our ALC church family and extended members from there, Lord, be their blessing today. Be, be the one who brings healing and comfort, who brings encouragement and strength, who brings provision and courage and hope for the future. We love you, we trust you, God, and we know that you have us in the palm of your hand. So we give praise now to the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen, church. God bless you. Well, it is uh, October 18th, 2020, and uh, we're here online. It's a little bit unusual, but uh, we're flexing as needs are necessary. We're flexing as we need to, uh, considering all the aspects of COVID in our community. And, uh, and so this is what we're doing today. We're going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of John. We are going to be in John, uh, Gospel of John chapter 3. So get your Bibles out. Get your Bible out. Get it out for real. Get it out and get it open to chapter 3. Um, that's where we're up to right now. Chapter 3. We'll be starting on verse 1 when we get there in a few moments. But you're going to want to have your Bible out. We're going to read and to consider today one of the most familiar portions of Scripture. And, and you might say, why is it familiar? Familiar because it's got a lot of power in it. It's got power in its simplicity. It's got power in the truth that it holds. It's got a lot of of saving knowledge in it. And so that's why it's familiar because it gets repeated a lot. It gets told to us a lot. But I want to encourage you today as we go into this, don't get too comfortable with it. Don't say to yourself, oh yeah, I've heard this before. Oh, I've heard a hundred sermons on this passage before. I already know it. I want to encourage you to remember that God's word is alive and that every day when we open God's word, even a familiar passage, God can illuminate for us in a new way. <coughs> He can show us something new. And I believe that for today. I believe that God wants you to hear it with a new set of ears today and receive it with a new heart and a new mind. I believe that it's possible, likely actually, that God will touch your heart today in a way he hasn't before. Now, I don't say that because I'm such a good preacher. <clears throat> Not at all. I say it because I have faith in God and in his word. And I know that his word always illuminates our lives. So, let me say one more prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that today you have in mind to teach us something about who you are and how much you love us. And I pray, Lord, that for those listening to this now, they would be open, they open their minds and their hearts to receive the message of love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's begin. Open up your Bibles. Like I said, John chapter 3, <clears throat> and here we go. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So let's pause there. That's after verse 15, verses 1 through 15. Again, I'm sure very familiar to you. Very, very familiar passages of Scripture. Let, well, let's stop for a moment and take a look at some of the background in this passage of Scripture. What's going on in the times and the people and, and in the individuals in this scene. The times in Israel, we know what's happening here. This is times of incredible division and, and political oppression. And there's a lot of contention. We, we hear about a man named Nicodemus who is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who, were, who together made up the Sanhedrin, the governing body that ruled over the Jews, they had a lot of political contention, almost like two parties, you know, contending for what is the truth and how do we, how do we govern this people and how do we gain control. There was a lot of disagreement, and that disagreement, by the way, almost always led to condemnation, or quite often anyways. And we know later in the story of Christ it did. We know that the disagreement they had with him Led to, he had to be condemned. Otherwise, the disagreement that he had would undermine our set of truths. Don't we see that in our world today? There are a lot of contention for political power. And of course, the Romans were there with their political clout. And some of the Jews had aligned. Some of them, non-religious Jews had aligned. So we had all these different factions. That's the times that it was in. Many different factions and a lot of people grasping for and saying, this is the truth. The people in that, those days, maybe outside of the leadership, but maybe even including the leadership, the people, there was a lot of lamenting. They were struggling and suffering, and, and there was a lot of anxiety. This world is oppressive. The taxes and, and the rulers are cruel, and, and they pass laws that are arbitrary, and they take advantage of us. And we have to find a way to choose the right side, but the sides are always changing. We wish we had salvation. We've been waiting for our our salvation to come, waiting for our Messiah. We've been waiting for relief from all this oppression. Does any of that sound familiar? Is anybody with me on that? Does it sound a little bit familiar? The times and the people, you know, God says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, here we are again. For as unique as 2020 has been, there's nothing new under the sun. How about Nicodemus? Let's just look a little bit more into his background. We learn from the scriptures that he was a Pharisee and a ruler of the, of the Jews. He, he would have been highly educated. He was a rabbi, a teacher of the Jews and had, had gone to all the right training, all the right studying. Uh, he was quite wealthy. It would be easy to assume that. Quite wealthy, a man of quite a great, considerable community stature. And, 
And so here he comes and he wants to meet Jesus. Well, what, what is that? And so it's, we don't know. We, don't, we really can't know that for sure. We can't know. What, was Nicodemus, was he curious? Like, who's this guy? Is this kind of interesting? Let me go find out. We don't know that about him. We don't learn it from scripture. We don't know if he's uncertain. We kind of get that feeling. We also don't know if maybe he's devious and maybe instead of just challenging Jesus openly like so many were doing, the scribes and the Pharisees were doing, maybe he came to do it something devious in person, catch him privately and then use that testimony against him later. We don't know, but we do know as he came and he had questions and what about Christ? What about the background of Jesus in this moment? Um, you know, the thing is, Jesus didn't really concern himself pretty much with all that stuff. He wasn't that concerned with the times or the seasons. Or He knew it was real for people. In this conversation with Nicodemus, and we might take that to ourselves. We might take the scriptures and hold it up like a mirror and see ourselves in it and say, maybe Christ is saying the same to us. Jesus just got right to the point. He got right to what's at the heart of the matter. In fact, he got right to what is troubling Nicodemus' heart. What's troubling your heart, I might say. I might ask that. What, what is, what's going on in your life that's concerning your heart? I have my own things that are heavy on my heart. They weigh on my mind. They keep me up at night. What about you? What's on your heart where you need answers? And you wonder, why does it have to be this way? What's at the root of the questions that you have in the places that you seek answers? You know, I can actually imagine Nicodemus was very sincere about his faith. I can imagine that. I can imagine that it's, it's possible. And I, I mean, I don't, wanna, I don't think we should paint every Pharisee as a negative person. I think that it's, it's entirely possible that he was sincere and he wanted to live a righteous life. He wanted to be in a right relationship with God. I think that that's true oftentimes of people that are misguided or misinformed. They have the right intentions. They just don't know how to get there and they're not practicing it right or they're not pursuing it properly. I, I think it's entirely, I'm almost certain that he was recognizing Jesus as an authority and power. He says it. He calls him rabbi. And he says, you have an authority that can only come from God. He recognizes what Jesus is doing is outside of the normal training grounds, which were the rabbis have been trained at. He sees that this person has all that we profess to have and more, but he didn't get it in our system. He's got to get it straight from God. He sees things and he wants to know, what is this all about? Perhaps Nicodemus has no one else to have a discussion with about these kind of things. Perhaps it's too risky for him to think the thoughts he's thinking and to say them out loud because he would be subject to that condemnation, to that judgment, and his career could be ruined. Perhaps there's no place to go. He would lose everything, his position, his wealth, his stature, his community. Perhaps Nicodemus is longing for some real conversations and he's searching, he's really searching for the truth. Perhaps it's just been a long time for him since it wasn't just, this is what the law dictates. And he, now he meets the lawgiver and he wants to know some real truth. I just wonder, perhaps, is that the same for you and I? Perhaps, has there, you have had any similar thoughts of that nature lately? What, what does all this mean that's going on around us? We, we laugh it off almost like, can you believe what this year has included? You know, do you remember that we had an impeachment? <laughs> that was so long ago. 
you know, the COVID-19, the, the lockdowns, the, the wildfires, school being out, everything. I mean, just, you know, and there's a lot of fears around some of it. There's a lot of uncertainties. And, you know, can we find an answer to all this turmoil? How can life be like this forever? There, there are people starting to say that we should expect there to be more of the same ongoing, that life will never go back to what we used to think of as normal. Why does it feel like all the, the very foundations of our lives are being shaken? Why does that feel like that? And, and how are we going to survive this? How are we going to get through life not being able to hug each other? How is that going to be possible? How, how are we never going to be able to have a potluck together? Share Thanksgiving or just even reach out to a friend or a stranger and be kind. How are we never going to be able to see each other face to face? We know that in time, all the masks will be removed. We know that because Christ has promised one day we'll see each other face to face and we'll see clearly. But why do we have to live under this cloud now? Well, Jesus knows that Nicodemus is struggling with these truths, with these questions. He knows his heart is clouded over with, I thought I had a handle on things and I didn't. And Jesus doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush. He goes straight to what he knows Nicodemus needs and wants. Jesus says, truly, truly. See, Jesus gives Nicodemus what I call the true truth. He says, truly, truly. And he gives it to us too. Truly, truly. The true truth is coming. Well, Nicodemus, he begins the conversation with an expression of his respect. He says, Rabbi, and he acknowledges the authority that he has from God. And then he begins a, a, a typical rabbinic kind of conversation. When the rabbis are, are discussing and debating, they, they know that neither one of them has a full handle on the truth. So they will have a discussion about that. And they'll, they'll begin to peel away layers of things that are clearly not true about a case. That's why they ask questions that sometimes are almost farcical. They're almost, they're almost a joke. And he starts with that. How can I be born again? How can, can I go back into my mother's womb? Is something that he clearly knows is impossible in the physical. And so he lays that out there for Jesus to dismiss it. And he begins to enter this rabbinical kinds of dialogue. That it should go back and forth and back and forth. The end result of which, after maybe many hours, days, weeks, or even months of study, the rabbis would eventually come to a point where they would say, all that remains then is the truth. That's the way that they would study. Jesus is having none of that. Nicodemus shows him respect, but he also wants to welcome Jesus into his way of problem solving. His way, according to the laws that he knows and the rules that he knows and the process that he knows. Rabbi, won't you join me in my process so that we can come to a truth that will make sense to me? And Jesus is having none of that. Jesus says, truly, truly. He said, here's the true truth. Listen. Listen well and believe what I'm going to tell you. There's no need to try to figure it all out. Just listen to the true truth. Here it comes. That's Jesus. He says it in the scriptures. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We can cut through all that other stuff right to the nut, right to the core of it. It's so simple. It's so unexpected. And you know, to Nicodemus and maybe to others, to us at one time, it sounds so impossible. It maybe sounds a little crazy. You have to be born again. 
So Nicodemus is like, wait, please, you have to explain this to me. I need to know what you're talking about. I don't get it. And so he tries again to engage in the, in the rabbinic discourse. And Jesus tells him, look, it all depends on whether you can believe in the Son of Man. So we have the true truth, and it all depends on your ability to believe it. Can you believe that the Son of Man came down from heaven and will one day return to heaven? Because that is the one and only way that you are going to get into heaven. Can you believe it? And then, to more fully answer Nicodemus' questions of how, and not give him time to begin again with, uh, but what about this? How can this be true? Jesus goes on to tell him. So let's pick up the story. Pick up your Bible again. And we go to John 3, 16 and, and to 21. And this verse, you really know for sure. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He's telling him how. He's giving it to him straight up. It's simple. It's unexpected. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So there Jesus gives the full discord, gives him the complete answer. He says, here's the whole answer, Nicodemus. You don't need to peel away any more layers. Here's all of it. And so, you know, in that world, in Nicodemus's world, in his life, in our world, in your world, we may find many, many expressions and philosophies for how to live out this life and how to perhaps gain eternity. There's a lot of people with a lot of answers, a lot of, I got this figured out. The, every one of them to, seems to me, seems to focus on thoughts and ideas and actions that need to be taken, taken carried out by we the people. We the people. Atheism, which seems to be becoming more and more dominant these days, it's a convenient, it's, I consider it a philosophy of convenience. It, atheism disregards any need for God because it looks at every situation and finds out what will be most pleasing or advantageous to me or me and my people. And it's constantly adjusting morality and righteousness. And the purpose of that being let's avoid ultimate guilt and let's avoid responsibility. And so we can change the rules even as we go. Situationally, we can make adjustments. We can change the meanings of words. It's, it basically is a process where man creates a morality and then it creates a theology around that. And I also find it very, very curious, uh, but clearly easy to observe, that it's really common for those who hold an atheistic worldview to adopt and to value godly values, godly concepts, godly principles, but refuse to acknowledge that they came from God. They love what God gave us, but they don't want to be under his authority. It's a convenience. Atheism is a convenience and situational. Buddhism says you can save yourself if you cease all desire. 
Confucianism says you can save yourself through education, self-reflection, self-cultivation, and a moral life. Hinduism says you can save yourself by detaching yourself from the separated ego and living a life in unity with the divine. Islam says you can save yourself by living a life of good deeds. Judaism says that you can be saved through repentance, prayer, and working hard to obey the law. You can do it. And in Taoism, you can be saved by aligning yourself with the Tao and have peace and harmony in and all around you. And lastly, ageism. Regardless of what age you are, ageism says that you can become your very next best self by gaining a new perspective and resetting your goals. You have limitless potential to improve and to achieve. You can be all you want to be and live out your dreams. But Nicodemus has been living in that kind of realm. He's been living in that we got this figured out. We got a system. We know we see the Roman system. We see the Greek system. We see the Hebrew system. We're living it. We got it figured out. We know what we're supposed to do. And now all of a sudden comes Jesus and things are changing. And Nicodemus is not willing to just settle on, I got my old system. He wants to know what this new thing is about and how. He, keeps, he asks the question, how? How can one achieve these things? How does this whole thing work? How does it happen? There's four things. It's simple. Again, it's very simple. But you know what? The simple things in God are often the most challenging things in God. I, I heard Josh say something to the effect last week about, um, you know, salvation and trusting God. It's, it's free and it costs you everything, right? He gives it to us freely, but yet we have to give our entire selves back to him in order to really have it. So here is Jesus again saying, this is simple. There's four things. You have to re be able to willing to receive. You have to be willing to believe, trust, and then walk out your life. Let's talk about those briefly. First, you have to receive faith that salvation is God's work. You have to understand and believe and receive the faith that sal your salvation is God's work and not your work. Nicodemus, here's, here's a paraphrase for, from Jesus to Nicodemus. Salvation is God's work. You've been working to make it work out for you. You've been doing really good. You reached the top of the heap. But salvation is not your work to do. It's God's work. God's alone. That's the true truth. Because he says, unless you be born again. It's the only way. It's the true truth. You can't save yourself. Only God can do it. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 Paul reminds us of this. He said, For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we couldn't become righteous on our own. So he sent Jesus to do that for us. And we became the righteousness of God. And remember what, what uh, Jesus said to, to um, Nicodemus here in this passage in John in verse 14. He said, As Moses is lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, what was it that, that Moses did that for? The people were being bitten and killed by serpents in the wilderness. And Moses said, God, give me a way to help my people, help your people not be stricken by this affliction. And God said to Moses, put a, put a flaming 
serpent on a staff and raise it up and all who look upon that will be saved and will be healed. And so Jesus is now saying the same thing. Just like Moses lifted up a symbol, a sign from God, and those who looked upon it would be saved, Jesus is now saying, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then he goes on to say in verse 15, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So as we lift Christ, and as we look to our lifted, risen Savior, we find eternal life. That's what Christ is saying. It's the way, the simple truth. Lift up the serpent. They were looking to the lifted serpent, and now we're looking and believing in the raised, risen Christ. Secondly, believe that God loves you. First, first we, had, we had the need that we were going to receive the faith in order to receive God's salva salvation work. And now we need to believe that God loves you. You have to believe it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I can't be said any more plain. It's why it's so familiar to all of us. This is the scripture with so much power. It's the true truth. Believe that God loves you, and he sent his son so you could have eternal life. It preaches itself. I don't need to say anything more about it. Believe it. Gain life. I think the question that I will ask but leave unanswered this morning, why do people not believe it? We each need to explore that for ourselves. I'm not about to give you answers of why you don't believe it, but I, if you're having trouble, if you're struggling or you know someone's struggling, perhaps that's just a simple place to come and say, what's at the root of you not being able to believe it? And therein lies the answer, perhaps, to receiving God's love. Third, we need to trust him. We have the faith, the belief, and now the trust. Trust him to remove the condemnation from our sins. The sin, sins that we've committed and we deserve to be condemned for, he's removed. In verses 17 and 18, it says, Jesus said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So the question for this part for us is, are you still carrying some kind of a burden? Are you still, you know, holding on to the guilt of your own sins? Are you still in your own sins and not relinquishing them? Are, and if that's the case, you're condemning yourself. And God came, Jesus came, that you could be set free from that, not to condemn you for it. He's, he's not put off by seeing it. He just wants you to let go of it so that he can release you from it and free you from it. Stop, stop carrying it. And you know what? When we come to Christ, I think something that is often lost or not understood is that condemnation that others may throw at us for our past is gone. We, we may have committed bad things and we have maybe some obligations and some consequences of that but the condemnation is gone Christ did not come to condemn us but to redeem us and so we should not let that condemnation get into our own minds and into our hearts and continue to beat us up Jesus wants to take that and bear that for you God promises when we receive Christ God promises a new heart he promises to give us a new heart cleaning out the old thoughts the old ways the old beliefs, the old guilt, the old shame, 
and make us clean. And I, and I want to just give you two places in Scripture, two quick Scripture references where God talks about that in his Bible. The first one is uh, Psalm 51. You'd be really good to read the entire psalm. But Psalm 51.10, David, upon being caught in a very deep sin, is repenting before God. And he says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He wants to be washed clean and made new. And the whole scripture talks about that, about being cleansed, about knowing I did wrong, but knowing also that God alone is the one who makes me right. And do that for me, God. Please do that to me and through me and in me. And then at the end of Psalm 51, it says, and then I will be the best preacher you ever heard. I'll be the one who will be bringing in new believers all over. And then Ezekiel 36, God himself is speaking through Ezekiel to his own people. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 7, and he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is God pledging himself that when you are dedicated to him, he will give you the heart that is necessary. And that's really getting to the issue here is that so much of our faith is a heart thing. We gain all this information. And it was true for Nicodemus. He had all the information and all the rules and he knew exactly how to walk it all out. A very smart, intelligent, logical person. But in his heart, he was doubting. And Christ is saying, get your heart right. And I can do that for you. I will give you a new heart. And last thing, the fourth thing is walk in the light. Live by the true truth. Live it out. Walk in the light. And it says that in verses 19 through 21, Jesus goes on and he says, this is the judgment, the light. Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also says, you are the light of the world. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Nicodemus wanted answers. He found truth. He wanted to understand and he got true truth. He got not a challenge, but a way. He got pointed towards the need to question his own heart, to question not the giver of the truth so much, but his own heart in the receiving of it, to challenge his own core beliefs. He had to examine his own heart for any remaining sins or guilt or pride or fear or misdeeds or doubt. He found in the truth, Jesus, he found real freedom. And he found the way to having a restored relationship with God through Jesus. Now we don't know whether or not Nicodemus came to salvation. We don't know, but he found it. And by finding it, we have ability to hold this up to ourselves and say, we can find it. Christ loves us and he wants us to be in right relationship. So maybe the question then at this point is, well, what, what's still hiding inside of us? What's hiding inside of you? Are you ha still harboring some fears, some addictions? Are there still some failures of your life that you're still living out and you're still feeding into those things? Are you still feeling the guilt? 
I might also ask you this question. When was the last time that you really sat down and had a sincere and deep and genuine conversation with another person? I don't mean a text. I don't mean an email. I mean a voice. When was the last time you got yourself in a situation where you could talk and listen and ask hard questions and listen for other people's answers and listen for the voice of God to come into that moment? Because God now speaks to us and through us. When was the last time you took some time just to be with God in that way? Not, not just bringing him your list of prayer needs and requests and, and even your praise reports, but literally a discussion and a conversation. Here's my day, my week, my life. Here's my anguish. Here's my uncertainties. And let God speak true truth to you. His love for you. When was the last time you did that? Why don't you do it today? Why don't we do it every day? I think that God wants to tell us over and over again this true truth that his son came and lived and died and rose again and is in heaven now, our great mediator. And he really does uh, want to give you his true truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for your patience, but also we thank you, Lord, that you cut right through all of our misguided questions and give us the purest, truest truth of all, that you love us, you came to save us, and you won't stop loving us. I pray, Lord, this day that you will deliver truth to those that are seeking you, that you would help us to open up the word of truth to others who are seeking you, that you would help us to be good listeners and also speakers of truth. I pray you'll lead us into your light so that we could be seen as those who walk in the light. We're not afraid to have our lives in the light so that the light can shine. And where we need to change from the ways that are wrong, we would see them exposed in the light so we could be more righteous and holy in your eyes and that we could be carrying out your good works. I pray that the, your Holy Spirit would shine a bright light into every corner of every heart listening to me now and that we could come into true, beautiful, loving relationship with you through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, church, God loves you. I know it's true. The Bible tells me so. <laughs> you might know that song. It's worth singing again. He's your healer, your renewer, your provider. And I pray that you'll look to him to this day now. In Jesus' name, amen.